Welcome back to the Big Red Hunters podcast. We want to start by saying thank you so much, listeners, for taking the time out of your day to listen to this. We also want to say thank you to our sponsors who provide so much support for us. If you manage to kill that dream whitetail buck or maybe that bull sprig, check out Whitetail Classics Taxidermy, owned by Jody Schultz out of Louisville, Nebraska. Basically can put together whatever you can dream up. So check them out at whitetailclassicstaxidermy.com or his Facebook and if you want to talk to him today or book something, call him at 402-630-0031. Next up is Spores Wet Basement Solutions. Their services include water damage and crack repairs, landscaping, concrete driveways, grading, and more. Their recommendations provide solutions that are a long-term and not temporary fix. They do it right the first time. If you want additional information, you can check out spores.com or contact them at 402-476-8588. If you're like me and like to drive your wife nuts every season with a new duck or goose, call right, baby. Yep. Pretty much. Call, uh, check out B. Hoover Custom Calls. Brent Hoover out of North Pot, Nebraska is one of the best that comes around. He actually uh, got second at Best of Show at NWTF Nationals. Awesome guy. Personal friend of the family. Actually helped my dad harvest his bull elk. He specializes in wood, duck, and goose calls, turkey pots, dog whistles, and shotgun shell teal whistles. Awesome guy. Check him out at behoovercustomcalls.com. If your vehicle gets disgusting like my husband does during hunting season, (laughs) check out Dirty Devil Detailing. They do interior and exterior detailing as well as headlight restoration and more. They also are certified in glass transparency and take anything from vehicles, boats, jet skis, ATVs, and motorcycles. The devil is truly in the detailing. They're located in Omaha, Nebraska, and if you want additional information, check them out on dirtydevildetailing.com. If you're like me and have taken a few L's here this early season and pretty much (laughs) (laughs) if you're like me and taking some L's and you really want that perfect hunt with the buddies and just get out there and enjoy what's going on and have to worry about anything, check out the other guys outfitters. They do an incredible job of uh, dry field duck and goose hunts. You can check out their pile picks on Facebook. And if you're wanting to book a hunt today, call Crager at 308 Six three seven 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 seven. If you're needing some professional photography done, check out my business, Faithful Images. Our mission is to faithfully capture images of God's creation in time that will one day serve as a memory. We do anything from infants, couples, families, seniors, weddings, announcements, and more. Check it out at faithfulimages.org or on Instagram and Facebook. If you're ever sitting there during COVID and thought to yourself, I really need to get on that dream hunt. I don't know. <laughs> What what's going to happen in life, but I need to get in that dream hunt. Check out Chaku Peru. He does hunts in U.S., South America, and Europe. If you've seen some of his pics or videos, if you haven't, jump on his Facebook or Instagram. Has some incredible hunts and does some incredible things. Uh, check him out at chakuperu.com for more details. Our last sponsor is Redbeard's Custom Calls. They specialize in acrylic duck and goose calls. Andrew made me one of the a one-of-a-kind marble white and hot pink dunk call. It sounds incredible. It looks amazing. If you want more information, check it out on Facebook. All right, guys. Thanks so much. Thanks so much for the support, and let's go ahead and jump in the podcast.
Welcome back to the Big Red Hunters podcast. Just want to say thanks, everybody, for taking the time out of your day to listen to this. Uh, today, we've got Brent Hoover from B. Hoover Custom Calls. Really excited about this one just because I love the art of duck calling. Uh, just ex- excited to have you on, Brent. How are you doing? Good. Thank you. Thanks for thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, you texted me yesterday and you uh, told me that uh, you got a doe. How'd that work out? Uh, I filled the last tag that I had, uh, five minutes left in the season. And, uh, my eight year old grandson was with me, uh, through the, through the season and, and he was there with me to get the last one. So busy day today, processing deer and, and trying to get all the, all the deer ready to go. <laughs> so it's been a busy week hey, so um, far. Makes it makes for a good one. It sounds like uh, Jeremy over here. Uh, today we got my co-host Jeremy. How we doing? Hey, you know I'm just glad it's the end of the day. I hear you, buddy. So if anybody hasn't checked it out, check out his uh, YouTube Hunt Fishery Six Five because he's probably got. Are you gonna put on that doe hunt from the other night? I've got four deer hunts that are coming up, and actually I'm really excited to post uh, Trails Angle from Saturday. Yeah, because they saw some giant bucks. Really, like. 150, 160 inch. Oh boy. Yeah. So I didn't even know that those deer were on that property. Didn't matter. It's not only a season, but yeah. <coughs> he got good footage of them too. So perfect. Well, sounds good. It looks, sounds like both of you guys had some, some, uh, some good success. We'll just say that. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Well, yeah, we'll, uh, let's get jumping in the podcast. Uh, so B Brent obviously owns B Hoover custom calls, makes some phenomenal. I, Brent, I would say like, if anything else, you're, you, would you call yourself a call maker first and an artist second or an artist first and a call maker second? Oh boy. That's a tough question. Um, um, I would have to say probably the artist would have to come first on that. Uh, just because of the creativity and, and what I really try to try to exemplify through the calls. Yeah. Um, just the different ideas, things that other people haven't done prior to this, uh, prior to me doing it. And, uh, just kind of thinking outside of the box. So, so yeah, kind of the artistic would be probably first and foremost. So who, who influenced you to get started just being kind of your, to be creative? I, I would say that who influenced you to be creative? My dad had, oh my goodness. My dad had a lot to do with that. Um, I can remember as a young age, probably five, six years old. Um, I would love to sit down and draw, love to sit down and do things, you know, uh, make things. And, and he was always very careful with how he worded things. Um, you know, rather than saying, uh, how could you do that better? It was, tell me about it and tell me the things you're happy about and things you're not happy about what you're, you know, what you're, dealing with um and at the time you know i mean i was drawing a lot of western stuff horses cattle uh, a lot of ducks deer drawing stuff like that and so i would say well this leg isn't right and he would say okay what looks wrong and so i think that's where he he really 
did an awesome job as far as really making me look at things and say, okay, is it right or is it wrong and why? Hmm. <clears throat> and you, you'll see things um, naturally. Um, I mean, you've set that blind before and you'll, you'll see the birds coming in, flapping wings, and you know what that looks like. Now you can look at, you know, a say a piece of artwork or a, or a photograph where a wing isn't quite right, and, and automatically you go, nope, that's wrong. That that doesn't look natural. There's a there's a natural process to it. So, hey, you're a lot hard. You're a lot farther than me because I I try drawing stick people and yeah, they're, they're a, still they're still I'm a, off. I'm a terrible artist. I can't do it. I. Uh. <laughs> yeah. it's a god-given talent it, it's uh, I, I i say that everybody can draw um and they can if they if they learn the methods uh but some people are just gifted with how they see things and then, and then the hand-eye coordination that goes with that so so let's let's jump back to the beginning. How how did you get started hunting? We'll, we'll start with that. Oh, hunting for me, a lot of stuff with Dad, uh, my uncle Tom, uh, my uncle Terry. We did we did a lot of hunting when I was growing up. A lot of hunting and fishing. Um, as I got a little older, um, and I say older, probably ten uh, or even twelve we were pretty much cut loose. Um, BB guns, bows, pellet guns, and then eventually 410s, 22s, stuff like that. And we grew up outside of town, so we had ducks, geese, pheasants, a lot of rabbits, squirrels, you know, stuff like that. So I, I got started mostly with small game. And, uh, you know, with, with Dad, a lot of deer hunting, um, some waterfowl. Uh, my uncle was really uh, into waterfowl, and that's I, I picked up the waterfowling from from my uncle Gig. Um, did did a lot of goose hunting with him. So, so was uh, was pheasant hunting really as good as people said it was? Because my dad always goes on about how good it was <laughs> and how you could walk home oh. from school and shoot a limit. It, you know, it's changed through the years. Um, <clears throat> I think. Sometimes we think we shot more birds than we did, but I, I know the mentality, uh, especially like high school, uh, for myself, dove hunting, pheasant hunting, stuff like that. <clears throat> it wasn't, hey, I hope we shoot a bird today, or boy, I hope we see some birds today. It was, I'm coming home with a limit today. And you just, if you didn't get a limit, you wondered, okay, what, what went wrong? What did I do wrong? You know, yeah. it, it, there were, I, I think there were a lot of birds, but I, but the numbers have increased, uh, you know, they fluctuated with, with how many hunters we've got, you know, the natural, uh, predation that we have coyotes, everything else that has a factor on it, weather, uh, farming practices. There's a lot of things that have changed over the years. <clears throat> and, and we may just be in a cycle right now where you'll see it go the other way, but um, you know, South Dakota is known for their pheasants. Uh, that's a big thing. South Dakota is down this year. Yeah, mm -hmm. on their bird on their bird numbers. You know, 
but that's about to say that Nebraska won't swing again, you know, given uh, some time and some, and some changes. We may have, we may have tons of pheasants again, you know, when we're back in that position. Yeah. I, I think there's a couple parts of that that I would find kind of interesting. Um, I was, you know, thinking about the pheasant side of it. I think that I've seen more personally and which I know that's an anecdotal evidence, but I've seen more in the last couple of years, even on the eastern side of state, and I tend to see more on the western side of state as I'm out and about. But this year, I actually saw like a decent amount around, which was pretty surprising, um, just from out like messing around, scouting, doing that kind of stuff. Um, in areas just I haven't seen them before, and I think the other part is I saw a paper that was wrote that about turkeys is that the turkey population is a, as high as they think it ever could be and that they're worried about the the turkey population crashing again. Not to the extent it was in the 80s necessarily, but definitely looking for a crash, and that would obviously make a big difference with pheasants. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Well, and, and, and I'm kind of quiet about it because we don't want we don't want to let everybody know. Nebraska is one of the top turkey places. Oh, I hate you look at it. you look at the number of birds we have and the variety that we have. I mean, I you you can drive a small distance in this state, and you can shoot an eastern. You can and and especially where I'm at here in central Nebraska, a short distance, and I can be into pure Miriams. Now, in this area, we get a lot of hybrids. You know, in between the in between the different uh, subspecies. But, but, you know, I mean, there's, there's variety, there's, you will find turkeys in areas you would never believe you would find turkeys in. And, uh, yeah, I just, I think Nebraska's just, they've got a gold mine on their hands with the turkeys right now because they are just, it's just phenomenal hunting. All right. So Hunter, I'm going to need you to take the last minute and a half and just cut it. Just get just rid of cut this. It. Uh, we can't we can't let the secret get out more than I, than it already has. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, no. Uh, so there's was... no turkeys in this state. There's none. Any <laughs> listeners don't come to Nebraska. Go to go to the south or something like that. Stay as far away from here as possible. <laughs> so I don't know if you listen, but uh, a couple podcasts back, we we're just BSing and talking about the rest of our season and what we're planned and stuff. And you know, I I was talking, you know, like Dad and I, you you you've been out in that area with Dad and I in the canyons. And I told him I was like, oh, yeah. we could get out there, with the family friends, and like go go out there. And I told him which canyon it was, the name of it. And he just Jeremy's over here and just lost his mind. He's like, "Are you serious?" And I was like. Yeah, I'm serious. He's like, like we're going. I don't care if I have to throw you in the truck and like, like basically kidnap you and take you out there. We're going. And I was like, well, I guess we're going. <laughs> See, I, I've never really spring turkey hunted, so I, I, I don't really know. I'm telling you. What, oh, we keep having this yeah, joke it. between me and Hunter that he's already on the fence about whether he wants to snow goose hunt this spring or not. And I told him after the spring he'll never think of snow geese again because he'll be he'll he'll be obsessed with turkeys. It's, it's gonna happen. You're gonna have a turkey gobble above your head, and you will never think of anything else in the spring. 
You know, and to me, the turkey hunting, and I think I think that the attraction for for spring turkey hunting, it's the closest thing you're going to get to elk hunting. Exactly, I completely agree. It, 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 it's, it's a lot of the same methods. You're interacting and you're trying to force the bull or tom to do what is unnatural to him to come into the cow or the ham. Yep. And I think that's why we're, there's such a huge attraction to the spring turkey is you're, you're interacting so much with that, with that bird and you're trying to force him into doing what you want him to do rather than the other way. See, so. I, I'm not a big game hunter and I'll, I'd tell that anybody, but Jeremy and I had this conversation several times, but like we haven't, I, we've tried to sit down and do an elk podcast. It doesn't seem to work out because we keep coming up with other things to talk yeah. about, but we will. But like <laughs> my, that, that experience with you and dad going elk hunting, like completely changed my perspective on big game hunting and my, like de- my, my desire to do so like elk or excuse me, deer, eh. But, like, elk, I would love to go on an elk hunt. And, honestly, even that day, like, I wouldn't even need to shoot necessarily. But to just be on the elk hunt, that was, uh, yeah, that was pretty incredible. And, and it's, it's, it's hard to draw that tag, uh, to draw that, that bull tag, you know. Um, the cows, you're going to hunt them different than you would a bull, not, you know, naturally. Um, There's phenomenal thing to me because I I never imagined I would be chasing elk in Nebraska. Yeah. You know, ten years ago, such a small unit, you know, that that we had a concentration of elk. And now how many places did we go, Hunter, that there were elk? I mean uh, well, we went hundred hundred and fifty square miles. Yeah. And we had elk in every last area of it. I mean, there's just elk everywhere right now. There was, and it's a quality elk at that. Yeah, we, uh, just like the one that we pulled in that morning um, that you filmed. Yeah, you know, he, an eight by nine bull. Um, the morning your dad shot his, we had a seven, a massive seven by seven bull. That it was just too early. He was, was there before shooting light. And uh, walked into the corn, but we got some bulls that would would would, would uh, compete with what you would see in Colorado and Wyoming. Yeah, and it's such a different experience because you know, and I've I've been up there, I've hunted up there. You're hunting elk in the mountains. There's a certain uh, method, I guess I would say, uh, certain certain ways you're going to try to do it. Here it's 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 just different because you're trying to pull them out of corn. Uh, it's I, I don't even know how to explain it, but you're you're trying to get between the canyons and the corn, and it's it's like a magnet to them, and, yeah. and it's just it's a challenge. It is it is one of the most challenging hunts I've been on. Uh, you know, trying to trying to keep an animal from from uh, getting in there and hiding for the day. And it's just been... Uh, yeah, it was... That was quite the experience, and I will say. I, I'm looking forward to doing that podcast and talking to Dad about it because 
I've I've heard the story about the one he shot. I, he didn't actually tell me about that seven by seven, which was surprising. But yeah, no, it's it's pretty incredible, really. No, it's yeah. I mean, I I think that we went for three different spots. So I was with him. We always saw elk, and then the one we saw a lot of sign, but it seemed like they'd pushed off and went somewhere else, or I don't know. It was yep. kind of weird deal over there, but no, it's pretty. It's incredible because I had another buddy that hunted in Nebraska that saw a bunch of them. It, it's unless you know people that have done it or are really out in certain areas, you would have no idea that mm-hmm. elk even exist in the state. Exactly, which is almost honestly like that. It's pretty incredible for elk to be that mysterious that most people don't know they're here as big of animals and how destructive they are. Yeah. You would think, you would think, you know, the numbers that we have, the herd sizes, you would think, oh, I could just drive by and and find them. And they, I mean, they're just like a, an old muley or, you know, a big white tail buck. They will find a place to hide and you're not going to find I mean, they're just, they're gone. Um, I actually have, um, uh, my daughter's boyfriend, they are trying to fill their landowner, landowner tags, which are cow tags that they have right now. Yep. Um, he pulled, he pulled up on one of the canyons that, that, uh, I know I've, I've hunted with you down in that area before hunted, but, um, he pulled up on top of the canyon and there were 17 bulls wow. up on top oh, of the flat. God. Not, not a cow in the bunch. Yep. 17 bulls. Now, what's that tell you? How many cows are probably in that area? Yeah. Yeah. That, you know, if you've got 17 bulls in a, in a, in a winter group, you know, you've got a lot of cows in the area, too. So. Yeah. Absolutely. Get how many are going to be there next spring? Ugh. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Well, that, that ranch we go up to up north, he put on 25 into his herd this from the last year to this year. Mm. Like <laughs> that's nuts. Uh, yeah. Hey, kudos. I mean, kudos. That's that'd be awesome to have land and being able to have elk on the land. Yeah, he hates them though. <laughs> well, I know. I I know I say that, but crash a few fences and you wouldn't say that. Get a few cows out walking. Around. Yeah. You'd be you'd change your mind real quick or a few you know, it, it's incredible how much corn they can smash in such a small uh-huh. period of time. You know, there was, well, I remember Dad and I were sitting there, and the way they they had bedded out, I mean, there was probably a good, I would say there was probably almost 10 acres of corn that was just mashed. Mm-hmm. It's like, that, that's a few dollar signs. Yeah. Just a couple. But just kind of getting a little back on track here. So, I know that you make uh, all kinds of calls. I want to talk about how you got into call making. It's a kind of a two-step process, uh, or two-step answer, I guess I would say. Uh, About 30 years ago, I started making turkey wing bone calls. And what you're doing is you're taking the the bones out of the actual turkey wing Mm -hmm hollow them out and, and, uh, you know, pull the marrow out of them. And then you're putting them back together, but there's a process for how far each bone needs to go 
together to sound correctly to get a good yelp out of it. So I, like I say, like close to 30 years ago, I made hundreds of them. I made tons and tons of, uh, of wing bone calls. It was something I enjoyed. It was it, it, never anything that I thought, Oh, this, this will be something I'd like to be, you know, down the road. It was just more or less. I did it, uh, for a lot of friends, family, um, I would donate a lot to the outdoor organizations and, and they would auction stuff up like that. <clears throat> Fast forward and um, about 12 years ago, I thought this might be kind of fun because we were waterfowl hunting. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Several times a week, the, the waterfowling was just nuts at that time. And I thought, man, this would be really cool to make a duck call for myself and maybe a couple hunting buddies, and, and uh, I, I had enough background in the woodworking, you know, doing woodworking, <clears throat> tuning calls, doing things like that. I thought, it can't be that difficult to figure out. And my grandson's birthday was coming up, and he was, at that time, it was the only grandson we had. Um, and he he was always blowing on the duck calls I had, and I thought, there you go. I'll make him a duck call for his birthday. So I thought, oh, I'll run out there in the shop and have this thing cranked out on a, in a weekend. I'll have a duck call done. So I go out there on a Saturday. Uh, long story short, there was no Disney ending to it. <laughs> <laughs> it, it uh, I could make a quack, but it, uh, it was a pretty sick quack. Um, I think it fell apart probably within a few months of him having it, which he was about three, maybe almost four years old at the time. Uh, maybe not even that old. Uh, but yeah, it, it fell apart. And I just assumed like, like a lot of guys that as long as I had a nice arch on the tone board and I had the reed, with that Mylar reed, that's what was going to make the quack. And so then I slowly started doing some reading. Uh, I got onto a forum that was geared towards call making. And I started asking a few questions, making a lot of wood chips. Uh, I, I can't tell you how many. Oh, my goodness. I, I threw so many in the trash. Um it just, you'd find something that would work. It would make a good quack, but the feet call would stick. So, okay, how do I fix that? Would it do a highball? Would it do a hail? Would it do, you know, and, and go through all those processes, and I could get, you know, different aspects of the call to work, but not all of them to work well together. And so, you know, it, it took years probably two years before I found one that I was quote unquote satisfied with. I've changed that design over and over and over and over three years um, until this it'd be a little over a year ago. Now um, I had the latest custom jig uh, uh, made and this one I'm really tickled with. Uh, like I can get almost every sound out of it. I want um, some really nice high cajun squeals out of it. 
Um, and it requires very little air to operate. It, it doesn't take, you know, an, an iron lung to run it. So, gotcha. Um, you know, it's just, it, it's a process and you're, you're constantly learning. You're constantly, uh, picking up on new things. And that's not to say that the, the, the jig I'm running now is a jig I'm going to be running in 10 years. Yeah. You know, it may, it may change, you know, um, I'm happy with it. It's, it's, I've had a lot of positive feedback. Uh, it's placed very well at the grand national level, uh, competition stuff. Um, it's placed well with that. And, and so I'm getting really good feedback. Um, but there may be something I change down the road. Uh, maybe it's a volume issue or, or something else. You know. Gotcha. Yeah. I, uh, I, I have one of yours. Um, I think it's a burl, and then it's got the orange on it, or an orange burl. I don't know what the end of it has, but my dad got it for me, I think, three three or four years ago. And the where I would say the one, the main use I use it for is, like, early season in the marsh because it has a really nice sound to it, but it's not overly loud. Um, and some of those loud calls can just blow them out of, like, a small marsh, so... I love it for that. Yeah. It works awesome. Plus, I I tend to get nervous bringing out calls when it gets real cold outside, especially wood ones. It, not that not to say that the durability is not there. It's just I I've just had bad luck with wood calls. I've broken a couple in the winter time. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Well, and you, and you know my policy, and I, I remind every time I ship a call out, I remind the guys. Your fault, my fault, or the dog's fault. I don't care. Yeah, right. Make sure you get it back to me. I don't want it sitting in a desk drawer. I want the thing being used and abused. And it's, I've had guys bring calls back in and they say, man, I, I dropped this thing in the mud. I stepped on it five times and, and I can't get it to make a sound. And it's packed full of mud, <laughs> uh, the reed band, you know, everything else. It's like, hey, let's get running, you know. Yeah. Uh, matter of fact, I had a guy out this week, and and he came in, and he has used and abused that call for quite a few years. And uh, it took us about ten minutes. And when he left, he said that call, other than the few dings I put in it, he said that thing looks like the day I bought it. He said it's, you know, the finish looks exactly the same. Everything. And I take a few minutes to clean it up and buff it out. You know, it doesn't take that long, but yeah. that's one reason I really like those oil finishes is you can you can make a call with brand spanking it again in no time. Yeah. And and they hold up to the abuse of, of the water. So what's the main woods you guys or what's the main wood you use for your calls or types of woods? Oh boy. It um I would say standard call or uh, I shouldn't even say standard uh, most asked for would be probably in the walnut uh, species uh, be it clear walnut or a black walnut um, those are two big ones that get hit uh, hedge is a big one um, hedge is actually my personal favorite both for for uh, sound and, and appearance um, I really love the hedge calls um, but Different burls, you you just it seems like things run in a cycle yeah. in the call making industry. Um, you look 
six, eight years ago, Buckeye Burl was the wood that everybody wanted. And then it was Black Ash Burl, and then it was, uh, you know, on to the next, White Oak Burl and, and Yellow Cedar Burl. And it just changes over time what everybody's really wanting. So I try to keep as much in, uh, in stock as I can of different, different woods. Um, but there's a lot of times I'll run across uh, a guy that wants something that, that I don't have on hand. Um, you know, it's just, that, that's the whole point of it, too, is a guy wants a custom call. He wants something specific to what, you know, his desires. Yeah. Now, now he's not going to change the sound of it. I mean, the sound is, is, is what I want. But the appearance and, and everything else and, um, you know, it may be the wood, it may be the details of uh, carving, checkering, uh, inlays or in caps or, you know, stuff like that. That's, yeah. that's totally going to be his choice. So what, uh, so what did, what did you go from the transition or where was the transition from you? You know, I'm making calls, you're probably making them for friends and family. Where was that transition to, Hey, I'm going to make this a business and make it a, a lifestyle and to make it for, you know, a life for my family? Uh, I, I would get together down in Kansas city with a bunch of call makers. Um, there's a lot of us that still talk every day uh, out of that group. Um, and, and I started receiving a lot of feedback from those guys, especially on the goose calls. Um, the, the guys were really, excited about the goose calls and the sound of them and everything, how easy they were to use. <clears throat> Excuse me. And, and once I would put something, uh, in Facebook or Instagram or something like that, the phone would ring. And I mean, all of a sudden I was getting orders and I, and I told my wife, I said, you know, this is kind of going from, you know, Hey, I'll, I'll do a few here and there to, you know, and, and something I enjoy is a hobby it was getting to the point where I probably need to start looking at this as a business. And it was, oh, probably a year, maybe two after that, um, the job, because I was working full-time at the time, um, I was working anywhere from 40 to 80, 90 hours a week um, at that job. And they changed the policy with with, uh, uh, how they were conducting some testing out there. And I had a, a color deficiency uh, in my vision that was not an issue for twenty some years, and all of a sudden with this new test, it was it was going to become an issue. And so I was essentially forced into an early retirement. And I told my wife, I said, you know, this is something I really want to pray about, and I want to, you know, I want the both of us to sit and talk about it because. You, how much time would be involved and, you know, time away from, uh, you know, doing things around the house or family or, you know, whatnot. I said, I don't want to, don't want this to get to the point where it's, it's overtaking my life. But I think if I do it more so in the daytime, uh, and carry regular shop hours, you know, it's, it's something that I could, I could make go up in the business. Yeah. And so, you know, Sherry and I, we prayed about it. And uh, I, I think the answer was just, man, it came back just an overwhelming yes. 
um, through that. And uh, so that's that's kind of how it how it began. And uh, most of it was local. And once some of the calls started getting out um, across the country in different avenues, Facebook was one, Instagram was another. There were some other websites that were related to call making and call collecting and things like that that uh, I started getting people from other states and, and across the country that were requesting calls and stuff. And, and so it, it just it just really took off. And once it took off, it, it exploded there for a while. Um, cur- currently, I'm six months behind. Oh, and that's damn. working... That's that's working every day. Yeah, you know that's just that's just go 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 every day. Um, some of them are are, I guess what I would refer to as kind of a stock call. Nothing nothing fancy. The guys just wanting a working call that runs. Mm-hmm. Some of them are, are fully carved stuff. Um, I actually am today uh, in this week I've, I've been working on two carved calls for a guy out of Denver, Colorado. Um, yeah, it, tons of hours into them. So, but you run into all sorts of guys that, that some want the, the working side of things. And as you brought up at the beginning, Hunter, some guys want the artistic stuff. Yeah. Well, I, I remember I was at a gas station up here and I was just getting gas cause I was on my way to go goose hunting one day and some guy stopped me cause he saw it. I, I'd got a shirt from you, and he had saw my shirt. And he's like, "Oh yeah," he's like, "I love those calls." He's like, "I'm I'm going out west now to go." You know, I think he was going goose hunting or something. I don't, I can't remember that much of the conversation because it was a while ago. I think it was last year, but he's like, "Oh yeah," he's like, "I love those calls," and we talked for a bit, and we kind of knew some more people out, you know, out that direction, and it's just kind of crazy that you know a shirt can make that sort of connection and um. Out. that 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 was pretty cool obviously so no it's yeah. been yep. i it's almost like call making has just like everything else it has a niche and it has a loyal following and i think that's just one of those things that you have a, a really quality set of calls and therefore you build kind of a culture around it which has been pretty pretty amazing in itself to be able to go from you know making a call here for your your grandkid and now it's boom I get a whole culture behind it. Yeah. yeah. But uh, I will say, like, on the artist side, if anybody hasn't checked out um, the Hoover Custom Calls, check it out on Facebook and Instagram. He has some, like, some incredible calls. I'm talking, like, world-class, like, NFT calls. And so talk about your experience this this last go-around it. Uh, the National T- Turkey Federation, is that what it's called? Wildlife Turkey Federation. Yeah, Wildlife yeah that's where they hold the Grand They hold the Grand Nationals. Yeah. Yep, they hold the Grand Nationals at the uh, NWTF convention, um, which last year, because due to COVID, things things changed, um, and it was pushed back to August uh, this last year. It's usually in February every year. Um, another call maker out of Missouri and I, we usually make the trip and go down and catch up with other call makers from around the country that we talk to a lot, you know, on the phone or texting or whatnot. And it's a great time to get together with those guys and, and just kind of catch up with what everybody's doing. So, 
Uh, yeah, and he's so the incredible calls. His talent uh, in this in this industry is just it's phenomenal. Some of these guys just put out some incredible, incredible work. Yeah, absolutely. So what what all did you enter? I couldn't. I know there was a set of four that you put in, but what all last uh, last last year I. Um, I actually entered fewer calls than I have at the Grand Nationals in years past. Um, I did a decorated striker, uh, turkey striker. That was that was uh, carved out of deer antler. Uh, then I had a carved duck call, which had six panels on it. Um, and it told the story of a, of a young boy getting his, his first pup, his lab, for Christmas. The next panel was him learning how to blow a duck call and the dog sitting by his feet. Now the duck in the background, the third panel was him throwing a fetching dummy. So now it's, now it's on to the dog learning and throwing a fetching dummy. There's some ducks flying in the background in the lake and the reeds. The fourth panel was him standing up in the blind and the dog looking out at the skies. Um, and there was, I think, a half dozen mallards flying around in, in that panel. And then it was the dog making the water entry on the fifth panel, and then the dog uh, finally bringing the duck back to the blind on the sixth panel. I think I, I, I never keep track accurately. Uh, I think that call had probably close to four to 500 hours into it by the time I was done. Oh, my and goodness. There's a, there's a few hours in that one. Um and then besides that, I had working calls in the competition also. I had a duck, a goose, a uh, whistle, and a deer. And a deer call in there as well. So, so yeah, last year was a, you know, I, 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 I've used this term on how many times, but I, I've really been blessed. Um, just the, the feedback from, from people, from customers, the guys that use them, but I've really been blessed with how the judges have seen them too. Once they go to the competition, I, out of all those calls last year, um, I think the lowest I placed out of any call was seventh uh, at the Grand Nationals. So, so they did they did very well, very very well. I saw that you ended up auctioning off those four duck calls. I, I gotta I gotta know how much those things end up going for. The carved. Yep. The carved calls, they vary um, time to time. Um, I've had some go for 1500 I've had some go for as high as three. Um, the, one, the one last year, there was a bit of a mix-up um, on the website, and I actually had a customer call me after the auction had closed. Um, he thought the auction was closing the following day. And he was pretty upset when he called me, and I said, "Hey, I said it's just you know, it, it's all right. It's it's not a big." I said, "If you want, I can build another, you know, something close to that." But I said, "We need another one." And he says, "I had already cleared it with my wife. I was going at least six grand on oh, that thing." Oh man! So I mean, it, it it depends. It's you know, you you know how it is an auction. Yeah. If you get two guys that desperately want something. They get that fevered pitch going, and you watch the price of stuff go up. At the same time, you may have one guy that's interested, or you know, a couple guys that don't want to spend much. Um, you know, you'll see the prices go down. I, I had one uh, a few years ago that 
that didn't go, you know, really high. It, there was one guy who desperately wanted it, and no one else was really, you know, there was guys that were bidding on it, but once it hit about 500 bucks, everybody lost interest. You know, so he yeah. ended up getting it a little over a thousand bucks is what he ended up getting it for, you know. Yeah. That's pretty so, incredible, but I mean, just, you get that's how auctions go. Yeah, well, yeah, that's the other thing too. You got to think of it. You still had five hundred hours, and if you do the math on that, obviously you got to have time and material into it. So, I mean, it. You <laughs> never def- figure it by the hour, Hunter. You never figure it <laughs> by the hour. <laughs> I, you know, part of it too is is number one, it's exposure, it's advertisement. Anytime you're doing stuff like that. Yeah. Um, it, it, it happens every year after the after the Grand Nationals. My phone rings constantly for a month or two. Um, you know, and the guys ball on all sorts of stuff. But at the same time, you look at some of that stuff. I I still have guys that will call me up and say, "Hey, I'm interested in a turkey call." By the way, I saw that one you did a few years back. They still remember stuff you did. Yeah. They didn't get it. But I, I've had guys say, yeah, I've got the picture saved in my computer. Or they're, they're talking about it, you know. So it, it, it makes me feel good that, that I'm doing something that guys, you know, really do appreciate. Um, you know, kind of more on the art side of it, uh, yeah. the creativity side of it, stuff. But, but yeah, guys, you know, I mean, it's just, like art, you know, one guy's gonna own the painting and everybody else gets to enjoy it. So, well, you know, that's, that's how it goes. <laughs> you know, with, and that's what I alluded to with uh, talking about calling is I calling is a art in itself, and I think people take that appreciation and you 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 know add that in and kind of couple that with your appreciation and your depth of quality on your your custom calls. I think it just I think you have managed to find. Not to say the other people don't dabble in it or do it well, but being able to find the market and the niche of people who just downright love duck calls mm-hmm. or calls in general, it's it's honestly pretty amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, you know, I like everything else. I mean, you know, I, I attribute the interest in it and and everything to you know. I mean, is it God's hand is in all of it for me? And that's, I mean, you know what my logo is. It's got the BH on there, but it also has Colossians 323. Yeah. And that, that speaks, you know, that speaks into why the calls uh, are the quality they are. Um, I'm not necessarily making these things because I want them to look good for the guy and him to be happy. Yeah. You know, I make, I'm making these calls because God's given me a, an ability and want to make something that, that uh, gives him glory, you know, in the process. Yeah. So, you know, I, if there's a small scratch in something, it will drive me nuts because I know <laughs> there is something there that could take away from somebody going, well, yeah, you know, I, I guess he did an all right job on it, you know. <laughs> I want something that somebody's going to say, wow, look at, the, look at the grain in that. Look at the, you know, creativity in the wood, you know. And, and you see God's fingerprint in the wood. And I think that's why I'm so drawn to the wood calls. Um, is each one is unique. It's yeah, totally unique. Absolutely. Yeah, it's I've been meaning to talk to you. Uh, talk to you about some. I've wanted to call with antler tips on it, and 
we need to get together and I need to get one from you at some point because I remember you making one a while back. I've got it up on Instagram that was I've I've just never seen anybody do inlays and like antler stuff like that before. You you know I, I've seen your stuff and it's like that stuff's incredible. Yeah, there's there's a lot of call makers that do uh, work like that. You know, there's a lot of guys that do it, but uh, you know, it's just it's something else. It's it's something something different, and, and uh, you know, it's how well you can you can uh, make it work. You know, as, as far as the quality goes, how how nice it works. Yeah. Um, well, I think this is know, probably I mean, a good. Uh... There's all sorts of materials out there. This is probably a good transition point for all of our followers and listeners. Uh, I've kind of said this in the past, and we've talked about this, but Jeremy and I hold the same Christian values. Uh, we'll talk about it with Brian here in a second. But uh, if you're not a Christian, you don't believe in it, you don't want to hear about religion or anything, it's probably a good time for you to hop off the podcast. Uh, we obviously respect everybody's viewpoints and what they, they want, but this is our viewpoint. This is our beliefs. We want to talk about it, so my podcast and too bad i'm going to talk about it anyway <laughs> uh, <laughs> um but uh you've obviously alluded to it a few times uh if anybody i mean for past brent and i know each other from when i was a kid uh he actually was he was one of my youth group leaders growing up and that made a big i mean just Youth group in general in that time period of my life made a huge difference in my life, and I think it really altered where my life was going at the time. So that that's kind of coupled with Brent's love for the outdoors. I guess my, my question to you is, just as a general, and this is something Jeremy and I have talked about, but how do you take your relationship with God into your love for the outdoors, and how do you balance that? Oh boy! Uh, boy that's, a loaded, that's a loaded question. That's, that's <laughs> a lot of a lot of rabbit holes we could go down here. Right? <laughs> that's what um, we're here for. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I there's not a day, and that's I, I've been hunting a lot just recently, uh, trying to trying to fill some tags. Um. But, you know, you've got a morning that you watch a sunrise. And you can get on your phone right now. You can tell me tomorrow when the sun's going to rise. You can tell me in two weeks when that sun's going to rise. And that's when it talks about it in Genesis, you know, that, that, that he, 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 you know, placed the sun and he, and he hung the stars. And, and there's an order to everything. And that's why I say you can get on your phone. That sun doesn't, coming up, it doesn't change. It doesn't vary. There's a sense of order to it. And and my grandson and I were talking this week on, on, on the way down hunting. You know, we were talking about different things. Um, snowflakes. There's not two snowflakes. That particular day, you know, we were getting some snow. There's not two snowflakes that are the same. Now you, now you take a lot of snow in a square inch. That's a lot of that's a lot of flakes, and yet none of them are the same. Now think about regionally how many how many flakes hit the ground. You know, there's that creativity side. There's an order side of things. There's so many things that you just see. There is a design 
to what you're seeing outdoors. And uh, just the beauty, the colors, the composition. My wife and I put a waterfall in the backyard a couple of, several years ago. Never, never really thought about it. Um, but as we're putting all the rock down there, our, our intention was to make it look natural. And I thought, well, this would be easy. Dump the rock, spread it around, move it just a little bit here and there, be good to go. What I found out was like river rock. If you look at a stream and how everything settles into place and how everything is placed, there's actually an order to how that everything is laid out. And, and it took me hours to try to get small areas that looked quote unquote natural that still didn't look natural to me. So you, something that you think is happenstance, there's an order to it. You know, um, yeah, it's just every, the animals, all of that stuff. Um, you talked a little bit about balance in between the outdoors and my faith. Um, I, your faith is with you everywhere. Um, I think you have to be very careful about the passion, um, personally. Uh, for myself, you know, I I have to say, okay, what am I putting first here? Am I putting first the calls? Am I putting first the hunting? Or am I putting first God? And that's you know that's just kind of where where I'm at is is this call making, the hunting, all that stuff. There has to be a um, you know, a, a checkpoint there where I say, okay, God is first. The calls, you know, the family second, the calls come third. Uh, the hunting comes fourth. You know, whatever the order is. But God, you know, is coming first in that order. No, I think that's a, yeah, that's something to think on. I think that's something that every hunter or Christian, especially a Christian hunter, has ever dealt with. Um, you know, to even... Each year I find myself, you know, talking about, you know, a couple of weeks ago we talked about goals for 2022. And I I always get to this point where if I don't harvest anything and I don't feel like I'm being successful, I really get grumpy and my focus comes off of, uh, the. Ex- I would just say that the experience and my relationship with God, um, and that's something that obviously is uh, an issue, um, that is constantly being something that I that I'm working to correct, but it is one of those things that is just always a struggle for balance. Yeah, yeah, that's totally. I mean, that's totally understandable. That's you know, we're out we're out there for a purpose. We're out there to harvest game. You know, we're out there to kill the duck, or we're out there to kill a deer, a turkey, or you know, whatever. Um, you know, I mean, that's that's the point of why we're out there, but. And, and I pray about this each time I go out. God, you know, let me be successful. Um, but more so, let me see you through what I'm going to experience today. You know, and, and you know, like, like, you know, you and I have talked. It may be through, you know, the sunset we see or watching the animal activity. Um, I, 
I, I could sit in a duck blind all day and just watch ducks fly. I just, there is something about a mallard that is uh, locked up, and he is rocking back and forth. Those feet are coming down. He's teetering. You know, there's a, there's, I could just watch it all day. I like to eat, too, so that's why I'm pulling the trigger. But <laughs> it's just so cool to see, you know, and to experience. But it goes beyond, you know, the sunsets, the animals. It's even the people. And I, and I think that's kind of a big draw. Uh, you know, like the deer hunting here recently with my grandson, how many hours him and I sat there and talked, you know, and we talked about different things, you know, going on at school or, or, you know, things, things, you know, uh, God and, 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 uh, just kind of his walk. But then, you know, I've been in duck blinds where, you know, you, you have some incredible, uh, experiences relationally um, whether you're driving out in the truck or whether you're sitting in the blind or whatever else I, you know I mean we are made to, to uh, connect with one another you know and I, I it's 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 a form of worship you know I mean you are you are coming together now the outdoors is not your church by any means uh, I've had guys tell me that but it's it's you know I mean I mean you can be out there and just enjoy things, and all of a sudden you're telling the next guy, hey, check that out. You know, look at what God made over there. You know, and it's just, that that's the side of what I absolutely love, is when you get to enjoy that experience, and uh, you just, you, you get to see God's creation. You know, everything Jesus made. <laughs> Excuse me. So we've had this we've had this conversation, Jeremy and I, and we've we've went back and forth on it a few times. What's your viewpoint on uh, hunting and the Bible saying that you need to go to church on Sundays or for Jeremy Saturdays yeah. that you need to be there each week? What's what's your thoughts on that? <laughs> That's uh, you know it's kind of funny you bring that up because I was thinking about that a while back. I had a I had a hunting partner years ago. I grew up in the church and had kind of walked away from it. And it was a guy that I was trying to reach out to. And he would say, man, the ducks are hitting. The ducks are hitting. We got to hit it this week. And we would hit it. We'd hit it. We'd hit it. And then Saturday it rolled out. We got to hit it Saturday. And then as we're leaving, he'd say, man, I know you're going to go to church tomorrow, but man, these ducks are going to be hitting. God's going to forgive you if you're not sitting in this blind on a Sunday morning. <laughs> you know, if you're not sitting in church, <laughs> God's going to forgive you for that. And I finally had to, I finally had to, uh, you know, I, I thought about it, you know, and I, I kind of like you guys are, you know, discussing it. But I thought, why? You know, why is it that I am at church on Sunday morning? rather than out there hunting a lot of times. And I finally took, I finally went back to him and I said, you know, I said, which would you rather do? I said, would you, would you rather go to work or would you rather hunt? And he says, well, I'd rather be hunting. And I said, even though work pays the bills, even though work puts food in your mouth. Well, yeah. And I said, okay. I said, hunting 
to me, I mean, it's, it's something I enjoy. It puts food in my mouth, of course, but it's where would I rather be is what it boils down to me. Hmm. Would I rather be in this blind or would I rather be at church that morning? And that's, there's, there's times I have missed. I, I think, I think every one of us out there, you know, whether it was vacation or maybe an extended hunting trip or something like that, we've all missed church on Sunday mornings, you know, um, you know, for, for varying reasons. But, uh, you know, I, I think it really just boils down to, man, what, what would you rather be doing? What's your priority? Where's, who's, who's first in your life? You know, is, is, is the hunting number one in your life or is God number one in your life? And that's, that's basically what it boils down for me. Oof, you're making this rough on me. Making me feel bad. <laughs> <laughs> That's not where I was going with that, Hunter. <laughs> no, I know, I know. I get it. I it's just something that we've talked about and I think that it at every point in some hunter's life they thought about that and worked through that that idea. You know, I have <laughs> uh I've tried to make it right by, you know, trying to serve a lot when the off season hits, but uh I'm just going to admit it. I've been pretty bad the last few years about going to church all during hunting season. <laughs> uh, one of the problems, well, sometimes I will say, one of the problems I have is like, normally I for, like forgive myself on like days that I know it's going to be really good. The ducks are in your ducks in, you know, and then like days where I'm just going out to go out because, you know, it's duck season and then it, there's nothing flying. It's like, oh, I should probably have been to church today. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just filled up my waders. I should have gone to work or to church today. <laughs> uh, and I, you know, I, I've had the discussion with a, a good friend of mine that, as a matter of fact, I was at his place today. He's an answer out north. And uh, we've been in in a, in a men's Bible study together several times. Uh, you know, we talked about Sunday morning activities, and I said I've I've slipped out and shot some birds before. I've slipped out and shot a deer before church, you know. And uh, then raced back to get to church, you know. <clears throat> and you know, he said, "Hey, he said I, I'm a rancher. I can't tell the cows they're starving on a Sunday morning." So he says, a lot of times for me, it's a, hey, uh, I need to change how I do things or, you know, to make it more time efficient uh, so that I can I can make it there. And, and uh, you know, as far as the hunting goes, hey, maybe you don't go on that, you know, long drive to go somewhere else to hunt. Maybe it's a quick trip and go shoot a few birds and go sit in church. You know, I don't know. But, but uh, yeah, it's just... I don't think there's a fast law to, to it. You know, it's to me, it is a, it's a personal decision, and it's uh, uh, just who, what your priority is. You know, I'm not here to put a guilt trip on anybody, Hunter. What do you mean? You're not trying to make me feel bad? <laughs> I'm not trying to make anybody feel bad. <laughs> I would say if I was- it's safe we say that me and Hunter are exchanging some looks and maybe some shame over here. <laughs> um, 
was never intended. Oh, no, I don't think your intention was that way. Actually, I really liked how you put that. And I, I won't lie, it, it, it put a different perspective on it. Uh, this is, like, that conversation is something that I have wrestled with personally for, well, since I've been hunting, basically. Um, I mean, I grew up as a Christian, as I think all of us here did. And, you know, I've gone through times where I thought, Maybe I was wrong or maybe I was right. I mean, at the heart of it, I I truly believe one of the things we need is a personal relationship with God regardless. Um, but that being said, the perspective that you just put, put on us, I've never heard somebody put it that way. And, you know, you got me thinking. I won't, I won't lie. I'm, <laughs> I, I'm sitting here... Definitely saying to myself, I could do better and I could try harder. And actually, I, yeah, that was. I can see it in Hunter's face too. He's thinking the same thing I am, and like, I, none, of, none. Of, I don't think either of us are mad, or like. No, it's just one of those things that kind of, they're. It, it makes you think and then you kind of you think about it more and it gets a little deeper but yeah you know it's just not it's not one of those negative things it's one of those positive things no, so it's like hey you know where is my perspective at and you know it's like i will say uh i think the perspective that was really good about the way you talked about it was is from the fellowship fellowship aspect because a lot of times i would justify what i was doing just from the side of the fellowship side and I obviously like that's a different perspective that you gave to us. I think that, you know, obviously I have had a lot of amazing conversations with buddies and blinds that mm -hmm. in a lot of ways were life changing. But at the same time, like it is a different perspective about what you want for your life. And so, yeah, it, it's a good thing. And I, I hope everybody obviously listen to the podcast takes that in perspective. Yeah. Well, I, I think to add to that also, um, God may put you in that blind that morning because it may be something that you say that somebody else needs to hear. <clears throat> you know, I mean, that, that can't, you know, I, I, there's so many times that you don't know why uh, you're in a situation you're in. But it, it, it you know, that may very well be. How many times was Jesus, you know, walking on a road rather than probably sitting in church on a Sunday morning because he needed to talk to someone? You know, so it's uh, like I say, I don't, I don't see it as a hard and fast rule. I see it as what is, what's, what's important to you, and, and uh, you know. I guess more so, you know, uh, because you're not sitting in church does not mean you don't have Christ in your heart. Exactly. You know, I completely agree with you, that. Once you've accepted him, he is, he is, you know, with you. So. Yeah. Ooh, wee mama. Made it a heavy podcast now, but a good one. I will say a good one. <laughs> Do you have any questions for him, Jeremy? Oh, I 
sure I could. Well, find. I guess that's it. I do have one. Unless you've got one, you're. No, go ahead and ask yours. What's uh just your from your experience in your Christian life? What is your relationship like with Christ in the outdoors? You know, say thirty years ago to where it is like now. How how or what kind of differences and what kind of similarities do you have with your relationship? Oh boy, oh boy. Um. You know, part of that I would attribute to age um, and growth. Um, boy, that's a really good question. Um, 30 years ago, I, I, I would say I was kind of in the, in the, I think you had alluded to it earlier, uh, Hunter, that you know, you, you wanted to get out and you wanted to get that limited ducks. And if you, if you weren't hitting ducks all the time, you were, you know, a little irritated or agitated or you know, a little down on, you know, on yourself. Um, and I, like I say, I, I don't know that I would attribute so much to faith as I would age. Um, but to me, it's more about the experiences. Um, I, I think the, the, the biggest thing for me um, getting older is I know that we are we're limited with time. We're only given so much time on this earth. And uh, I think I appreciate uh, more, you know, that God's uh, given us and, and provided us with. Um, you know, just recently we were deer hunting, you know, it was, uh, uh, we weren't seeing deer move hardly at all uh, at the beginning, you know, and, uh, <clears throat> my grandson and I had prayed about it and said, you know, Hey, you are, you are the provider and, uh, you know, if it's your will and, uh, we'd love to have a freezer full of deer, you know, um, I think I appreciate the deer now more than I may have 30 years ago. 30 years ago, it would have been, yep, I'm just going to get some. Um, and now I see that it's, it's, it's more so that it's God providing for me. Not so much as, hey, Brent's going to run out and get some deer. Um, but if that makes any sense. Oh, yeah, for sure. You know, you know, I, I just, I see that God is just, he, his hand is in everything. Yeah, everything, whether it is the business, whether it's hunting, you know, relationships or anything else, you know, his hand is in everything we do. Um, and so I think that, that, that flows over in the, you know, like you're saying with the outdoors is, is just how much his hand is in everything and uh, how much to appreciate that. What would you contribute some of that awareness of God's handiwork? Is it just a, is it a wisdom thing over time or is it a growth in your relationship? I would say both. I, I think it's both. Um, yeah, I think, you know, I mean, the more you spend time uh, in prayer and, and in the Bible and stuff, I mean, it's just... It is so evident uh, to me just how uh, the fragility, I guess I would say, of, of human life 
and uh, just how things can change in a heartbeat. Um, <clears throat> I look back, this may be going down another rabbit hole, but uh, you know, I think about this oftentimes. I look back, oh my goodness, that was 20 years ago. I had hurt my back. And uh, I was in uh, essentially my belly button and my belt buckle were three inches sideways of each other. My hips were way out of whack. My back was out of whack. I mean, I was, and my sciatic nerve was hurting in both legs. Whether I laid down, sat down, uh, walked, whatever, I was in pain 24-7. And I, I could sit in a, you know, I could sit on the couch and be in pain, or I could sit in a tree stand and be in pain. And so I pushed. <laughs> and uh, I, I kept pushing through stuff. But I was, I, you know, I thought, man, is this what it's going to be like for the rest of my life? Or, you know, am I going to be in this kind of pain? Or... You know, we'll get better at some point. And other, you know, one of my best friends, Matt. And Matt and I, we we hunted and fished and did everything together. And there were so many times I could not do something. I had to rely on Matt to you know, lift something or to help me physically do something. You know, something because I couldn't lift a whole lot. I couldn't bend over. I couldn't do all that stuff. I look at it now, I, I feel, fa- I, I mean, I feel fantastic now. It took about two, almost three years to get over that pain. And I look at it now and I go, wow, God, you've given me the, to even be out here enjoying the outdoors. I'm not in pain. I'm enjoying it. And, uh, you know, I just, I, I have the physical ability and the mental ability to do it now. You know, and I guess it's just more of a thanks, uh, thankfulness than anything. Um, like I said, it's probably going down a totally different sidetrack, but, but uh, <clears throat> I think it's just reflection. You know, as you get older and you, and you just realize, uh, you know, just just how how incredibly blessed we are to do what we do. No, I don't think it's necessarily a rabbit hole. I mean, to be honest with you, it's something that. I'm not going to talk about it on the podcast, but I've had a, a, a health complication this last couple months. And, you know, talking about my wife and I, we were ta- even talking a couple of days ago about the fact that, you know, from a certain perspective, you know, God has his hand on everything and that if he so choose, so chose to, then he could heal within a moment. Um, why he doesn't is always, uh, you never know. And it, how how it plays out, you're not going to know how it's going to play out. But it's one of those things that, you know, you see it necessarily something happening to somebody else, and you don't really think about something like that happening to you. And it's like this: it's either you take it as a negative pity party, or you take it as a what is God trying to tell me through this, or what is God trying to teach me through this, exactly. and trying exactly. to. I appreciate it and instead of depreciating your relationship with him. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. it should be joyful in all things, even when they're painful. 
<laughs> but yes, sir. Well, I think that uh, kind of concludes us, unless Jeremy has something else. Uh, <clears throat> no, I, I don't have anything else. I'm just sitting here, I'm still thinking about that. That was <laughs> really great. I, I actually really appreciated it. Um, that and at some point, I'm sure you'll probably see my name come across somewhere for a call of some kind. I'm not sure. Uh, <laughs> Just, uh, I've been looking at your Instagram. You do some great work, man. Fantastic. Well, thank you. I, I appreciate it. Thank you. It is uh, it's God's gift and it's God's talent. And as a, uh, a fellow Christian and call maker out of Iowa, a friend of mine spends a lot of times his work in my hands. So that is definitely where it's at. Well, I, I do it. need to get a... I need to get a shirt from you guys here at some point as well. Um, man, how many years ago was that that I got the shirt from you, you guys? Uh, probably four, four, maybe five. Now. I'll tell you, I wore that thing down to rags. I mean, <laughs> that was one of the most comfortable shirts. I got I to gotta tell you, that was one of the most comfortable shirts I've ever had. And I wore that thing all the time. So, Well, I appreciate it. Uh, uh Appreciate you taking the time and sitting down with us and sharing us a little wisdom. Well, hey, iron sharpens iron, right? Amen. I'd like to think so. (laughs) 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 Before we we get off here, uh, if you just kind of want to shout out your social media and how somebody can get in contact with you to to buy a call from you. Um. They can either go to uh, www.bhoovercustomcalls.com. Um, I routinely have stuff uh, either advertised there or all the contact information is there. Uh, the Facebook and the Instagram are the Beehoover Custom Call uh, page. And uh, then, uh, I guess, I don't know if you want phone number or not, but uh, 308-530-2935. And... Uh, yeah, I'm more than happy to sit and talk to guys about hunting, fishing, and, and everything else. Uh, the phone rings in the evenings a lot for orders, and he gets talking about hunting. <laughs> Can't beat it. So I, I, I just I enjoy that side of the call making. It was just meeting new people and talking to new people and, and sharing experiences and stuff. So well, perfect. Yeah. Well, thanks again, and. Uh, Thanks uh, for the listeners for sticking on and listening to us. BS about a little bit of everything under the sun. And I hope everyone has a good weekend and finish their season. It seems like goose season's about over. And hope everyone can have a little success for the end of season. So, all right, guys, have a good night. Thank you.